Well, good morning, everybody. Try that one more time. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, kids. Thank you. Uh, my name is Joel. I am the discipleship pastor here at Eaglemont. And if you're new, I'm so glad that you're with us, whether you're here in person or for those of you who are watching online. This morning, we do want to give a special shout out to all of our kids who are joining us. Kids, can you make some noise? Oh, what? Well, that was your cue. Let's try this again. Okay, kids. I'm warning you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the mic here. I want to hear some noise. Kids, are you out there? That's better. All right. So kids, this morning, we're going to have a special mission for you during the message. How many of you picked up your kids' packs when you came in, for those who are in person here? Okay. Awesome. You're going to want to open that up right away because you're going to need it, okay? There's going to be two pages that you're going to need to pull out of your kids' pack this morning in order to do your secret mission. If you didn't get a kids' pack, they're just at the back kiosk. You could go grab one now. The first page is going to be like the page you see on the screen right now. This is your decoder page. So this has a list of a bunch of secret decoding codes, okay? This is very important. You're going to need that. Specifically on the one side, you're going to see a numeric code where every letter has a number that it represents, and every number has a letter it represents, okay? The second piece of paper that's going to be really important to have is the piece of paper that's on the screen right now, okay? And this is your decoding answer key form, like, all right? So these are going to help you specifically with your special mission this morning. During the sermon, there are going to be six slides throughout the morning that are going to contain a series of numbers. Each time there's a clue slide with these numbers, you're going to hear this noise. Ah, so I think we should have our first clue slide. So if you have a pen, there should be one in the box. If it doesn't work, there should be a pen in the chair in front of you. And we're going to do our best. We'll have that clue slide stay up for at least one minute, all right? So you're going to have a limited amount of time, but what you're going to want to do is there's a set of red lines and a set of black lines, okay? Now, on the red lines is where you're going to put the numbers that you see on the screen. So the very first slide, this one will go on the first row of lines on your decoding sheet, okay? Now, later on, you'll be able to use that other piece of paper to figure out the letters that each one of those numbers represent, and you can spell the words out on the red lines that are on top of it, okay? Does that make sense? Clear as mud. Perfect. We're good. All right. For those of you who are watching online, if you have kids with you, you can write down these numbers, and if you want to email me at joel at eaglemontchurch.ca, I'll give you the, the, uh, the decoder so you can do that this week with your kids, because at the end of this morning, or for those who are watching online this week, you can email me, and there is a prize. You may see kids, the table at the front here, there's some cool prizes that are available. If you can decode all of the six secret clues to the morning, you can hand them in afterwards. Our summer intern, Jillian, is going to be here, as well as Pastor Crystal. You can hand those in, and they're going to exchange it for a prize, all right? So you're going to want to be on top of that. Hopefully, you've gotten all those numbers on that first slide, all right? Perfect. Uh, parents, if you have small ones this morning that have a hard time keeping up, please feel free to help them with that. You can also, if you feel like they don't get enough time, just use your phone to take a picture of the clue so they have more time to be able to write the numbers down, all right? Uh, for those with preschoolers, 
This challenge might be a little hard for them, but in the kids' pack, there are also seek and finds. If they can complete one of the seek and finds, they can also hand that in afterwards for a prize. Adults, your prize is you get to spend the next 28 minutes with me. You're welcome. All right. So, as Pastor Marlowe said, we are going to be starting our new summer series this morning as we're going to be looking at the parables. And this morning's message is called, Why Parables? Now, before we can answer that question of why parables, the natural question that may be in your heads is, what is a parable? All right. So the word parable is a transliteration of the Greek word parabole, which means to place beside or to cast alongside. A parable then is a story that places one thing beside another for the purpose of teaching. Parables are essentially metaphors that Jesus taught us to help us understand heavenly principles using stories we can relate to as human beings. I liked how one theologian put it. He said parables can be one of two things. They can act as both mirrors and windows. As mirrors, they help us to see ourselves. These stories that Jesus told, they reveal our lives as they really are. But they can also operate as windows. As windows, they help us to see what life in the kingdom of God is actually like. Parables are meant not just to teach us doctrine, not just to give us a theological understanding, but rather to put legs on the truth instructing us on in how we are to practically live truth out in our lives. So that leads us to that question, why parables? Why is it that Jesus chose so often in the New Testament, in the Gospels, to teach through parables? Well, Jesus was actually asked this question himself, and we see his answer in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 13, and he answers this question in verses 10 to 16. Starting in verse 10, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It says this, Jesus' disciples came to him and asked, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use these parables. Now, in response to the question by his disciples as to why Jesus used parables, Jesus essentially shared that his parable, in some ways, worked like a secret code. Now, have you ever used a secret code before? Kids, some of you are using one this morning. It's a way to have a message shared to only the people you are wanting to understand or hear it. I was reading over the last couple of weeks about some stories from World War I and World War II, some unique stories of how codes were used in those world wars. Uh, one of the stories was about the Belgian resistance against the German army. There, there was grandmothers that, of all things, used knitting and crocheting to send secret coded messages. They used different types of knitting patterns that would communicate a code of where and what occupying troops were doing in the area. Or in World War II, it is Canada Day weekend, and to get a little bit of history of Canada, maybe you've heard about the Cree code talkers. 
These were men from the Cree nation who used their native language to develop codes that could not be understood by the enemy and were able to help transfer valuable information to allied forces in England through World War II. See, like secret codes, parables can both reveal and conceal. To some, the story will bring life. To others, it will not. Jesus goes on in verse 13. He says, For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Now, I don't know about you, but reading this, it makes me ask the question, why would God only want some to understand what he is saying? Doesn't that seem to contradict what we tend to hear in church a lot? That God would kind of have this secret group that he only wants them to hear him? That would contradict what Scripture tells us about God. In Romans 2.11, it says this, God doesn't show favoritism. See, throughout the Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, when we read about God, we see in his character that his heart isn't for us not to know him, but rather to know him. John 3.16, for God so loved all the world that he gave his only son, because he wanted none to perish, but all to receive eternal life. So then why would God intentionally tell stories, tell these parables, these metaphors, that only some could understand? Well, let's continue to read on what Jesus said in this passage in verse 15. And he goes on to say, For their hearts, speaking of those who would not understand, for their hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. Remember, when Jesus would teach throughout the Gospels, whenever he would travel and teach, there were often many in the crowd who were there specifically just to try to trick him, to trap him, to accuse him, to argue with him. They didn't actually want to listen and learn from what Jesus had to share. He did not want to waste his time there. Have you ever had a friend like that? Someone in your life who, when you have an argument with them, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, that when you have a disagreement with them, when you share your point of view and trying to get your point across, they don't actually listen to what you share. They're just tabulating their next argument that they're going to rebuttal you with. Jesus didn't want to waste his time with those type of discussions. He wanted to give stories so that those who wanted to find truth would be able to find it. See, it's not that God would harden their hearts so much as their hearts were already hardened against his word. Their destiny to know even less was because of the condition of their own heart, not because of the absence of God's love or his grace. If I can, I'll put it this way. If I was to have two kids come up and do an obstacle course, let's say that I had you guys come up just to pretend, and I gave you each a pair of special goggles. One of you got to wear these goggles, and one of you got to wear these goggles where you can see nothing. And I gave you an obstacle course to go through, and part of the obstacle course was you have to read some words on a screen, and you'd have to write down what were the different colored posters that I had around the room. This person would quickly go around and find all the answers and return them. But the person who was wearing this 
Do you think that they'd be able to find all the answers? No. Why? Because they can't see it. Now, does that mean that the posters were any different around the room? Or that the obstacles that they had to go through were any different? No. What it meant was they themselves were the ones who kept them from being able to see and to do. When Jesus told these stories, it wasn't a case, it's not Jesus saying, I'm keeping them hidden because I don't want them to know. Rather, he's saying, their hearts have already made them blind. So it's the reason why they can't see is they themselves, not because the message is being purposely hidden from them. Jesus seems to be teaching here that he has hidden the truths in parables, not to conceal it, but to reveal it. So that the man who has faith and is looking for truth will find it. Now, can I ask you this morning, in all honesty, do you approach God and faith with curiosity, with openness, with questioning and searching for answers? Or do you come to the idea of faith, spirituality, God, with your own preconceived ideas that you want to project onto God? Are you wanting to learn what God wants to reveal to you today? What he might want to reveal to you this morning? The parables when they are spoken, these stories of Jesus, were often given because of some type of specific opposition or problem. Jesus spoke the parable so that those who truly wanted to know the truth would be able to find it. So that brings us to two short stories, two short parables that we're going to look at this morning. Again, if you have your Bible, I'm going to get you to turn to the book of Luke. So it's the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, then the book of Luke. And we're going to go to the chapter 15. We'll just reference starting in verse 3. And in verse 1 and 2, we see uh, Jesus give these parables, which are going to be of the lost coin and the lost sheep. These were instigated by the response of the Pharisees and religious leaders, those guys who always argued with Jesus, who were on Jesus because of him spending time with tax collectors and sinners. This is what it says in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15 of the book of Luke. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, if you're not familiar, you have to understand that the custom of the day was for those who were Jewish background, those who were Jewish people, they wanted nothing to do with people that were unclean or unworthy. And these sinners and tax collectors were just that. They were unworthy. And so with that, they were to avoid even being around them. Don't be caught with them. You'd be guilty simply by association. But this is not how Jesus approached people. And this is not how Jesus approaches people today. And it was out of this conflict, it was out of this issue that Jesus told two short stories that we're going to look at. The first is this, it's the parable of the lost sheep. This is found in verse 3 to 7 of Luke chapter 15. Let's read it together. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. This parable helps teach us God's response to lost people. Now, to give you reference, we see a couple characters here. The first is the shepherd, who represents God. Second is the sheep, which represents God's people. But then we see one sheep who is specifically pointed out, the lost sheep. Now, what does it mean to be lost? To be lost is to be out of place. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the teachings of the Bible, what Jesus taught, to be lost means to no longer belong in fellowship with God. That what you were created for, to be in relationship and closeness with him, to fall out of that. Because of that, a lost sheep or a lost sinner cannot experience the full enrichment of what God wants for them in Jesus. Vice versa, to be found means to be brought back into relationship, to be reconciled with God. Now, I'm not the world's leading expert on sheep. Uh, I think we have a little video clip, but there's something you need to know about sheep. This video will illustrate it quite well. Is it okay to go? Go for it. If you don't know, sheep are not very smart. This sheep got lost. One of the things, though, we need to recognize, again, this is a metaphor, but we need to understand something. The fault lies with the sheep themselves for getting lost. It wasn't because of the negligence of the shepherd, but rather the sheep themselves. Sheep often get lost. They aren't the smartest bulbs in the box, if you will. That's two metaphors put together. That's really good. The shepherd was responsible for the sheep. They would care for them. They would protect them from predators. Shepherds would care deeply for their flocks. But even with that, something would strike the audience that Jesus was listening to because they knew that the shepherd would care for the sheep. They knew that the shepherd would want to find them. They knew that the shepherd would care for them. But there was something about the over-the-top response of this shepherd that would strike his audience. Kids, if I was to say this morning that underneath the chairs of these two front rows, there was some pebbles and there was some dust, would any of you want to come look for them and find them? Okay, what, you would? Really? You must really like pebbles and dust. Most of you, not really. Now, what if I was to tell you in the, underneath the chairs in the front row, not where the TV is, but the other chairs, there is a $5 gift card for Tim Hortons, and in the second row, there's a $5 gift card for McDonald's. Would any of you be interested in looking? Because there is, and if you want to, you can go look for it. Someone's going to have to find it, though. It's taped one under the first row, and one's taped under the second row. All right, so, so you got to come up. The first row's the front one here, one's under the second. It's underneath one of the chairs. Now, there seems to be a little more participation. I, I missed one? Okay. 
Underneath somewhere, under the rose. Now, there seems to be more participation. Why would there be more interest? <laughs> nice. So there's still one in the front row. Now, why would there be more interest? Because there's something of value, right? It's under there somewhere. It's not under the TV. Oh, nice work. All right, we got both found. Well done. You guys can keep those. There's something about there being value that forces us to action. We see the response of this shepherd, and it is absolutely over the top. He leaves 99 sheep to look for one. But those 99 are safe, but now they don't have a shepherd. What is Jesus trying to do? He's using hyperbole here, over-the-top reaction to show how passionate the shepherd is for his sheep. Then when he finds the sheep, he throws them over his shoulder, and he's happy. Yes, that would be normal for any shepherd. But not only that, but he goes to the village and goes door to door to his neighbors to say, look, I found my sheep. Can you imagine three in the morning? Your neighbor knocks on the door, I found my sheep. Go to bed. Who cares? But he is so passionate. He cares so much. This overreaction is to help illustrate just how valuable you are to God. And how far God has gone and will go to find you and bring you home. This morning we participated in communion and that is a way of remembering, of celebrating just how far God has gone for us. Jesus said this of himself in John chapter 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. John 3.16, probably the verse that most people know more than any other in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave the greatest gift that could ever be given, that God gave his very own son because he cared so much about one sheep that had been lost that he was willing to give up everything to find him. The end of this parable, Jesus says this in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, over one lost sheep who repents, who comes home, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, of course, if you know the teachings of Jesus, again, he's kind of tricking the Pharisees here because the reality is Jesus taught that all of us need to repent because as Romans teaches us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of God's forgiveness, of His saving. But this parable shows us God's heart, His heart for lost people finding their way home. God is so passionate about you that He gave up everything to find you and to bring you home. And if you return, all of heaven rejoices, just over one who does. Now, while the parable of the lost sheep helps us to see God's extravagant, mind-blowing, unbelievable love to search us out, the parable of the lost coin ties it to us to teach us how we should approach the people we know who are lost. Moving on into verse 8 to 10 this morning, it says this, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Again, a bit of an echo here. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As to opposed to sheep, the coin here was not lost on its own accord. It wasn't something that just went off on its own, but it was lost because of the carelessness of another. This parable presents us with the sobering thought about how our actions or our lack of actions affects another. Now, just to give a little reference, when we talk about a coin, you go, well, you lost one coin. What's the big deal? talks about 10 coins. When a Jewish girl would get married, she began to wear a headband of 10 silver coins. This would signify that she was now a wife. It was essentially the Jewish version of a modern wedding ring, and it would be considered a calamity for her to lose one of those coins. Parents, has anybody ever lost their wedding ring before? Anybody experienced that sheer panic? I have. I think I lost this thing like six times in the first month me and Carrie were married. I don't wear jewelry, so I had a long time getting used to it. And you will search for it. Why? Because as we talked about before, it has immense significant value. Would I go searching the same way for a 10-cent coin or a loony that's somewhere in my house? No, I'd probably look quickly and I would move on. But because it had such great value, we see that this woman, she lights a lamp and says she sweeps the house, which makes it sound really nice. But can we be honest? It's one of those things that you're desperately trying to find. She tore the house apart because what she was looking for was of such immense value. Church, we are called to be those who are looking and searching for lost people. Something that is to God's heart of such immense value, and he says should be to us of such immense value. Theologian and evangelist John Wesley said this, the church has nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. The coin was of immense value, because you are of immense value. And hence Jesus' words, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Church, can I ask us honestly, how much desperation and how much value do we put on the people around us who are lost right now? The people in your life who do not yet know Jesus... Are they of extreme value to us? If they are of extreme value, then we should be absolutely desperate to make sure that they get to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. When this woman searched, you can imagine she's looking for her headband, essentially her wedding ring. She swept that house apart. And when you do that, the house gets messy. Sharing Jesus will mean that the house of your life will get messy. Your reputation, your comfort will be torn apart. How far are you and I willing to go to make sure that the people around us get to know the hope of Jesus? 
I fear that too many of us are caught up in political correctness and fear. Where we are unwilling to share the truth that we know. We have bought into the ideological ways of our world and our present day. Well, this is for me, but I would never want to share or impose anything on you. I remember hearing one time uh, Penn Teller, who is a known atheist, talk about Christians. Himself saying, I don't believe in God, but he said, if you are a Christian, you believe in God, I believe the most unloving thing you can do is not tell someone else about him. And he's right. If we truly believe in a God who cares so immensely that he will leave 99 just to find one who has given his own son the most extravagant gift in the history of all creation to save a soul, but we refuse to share that hope. It is the most unloving response we could ever do. How far are you and I willing to go to make sure that the lost are found? Now, no, this does not mean you need to set up on a street corner with a bullhorn and yell at people and tell them they're going to hell. That's not it. But this morning, there are people in your life People that we're going to spend in just a moment, I want God to imprint on your heart because people, I believe that you have been strategically placed to share the good news of Jesus with, that he wants to use you. And we can't be cavalier about it. We can't just go, well, whatever, we'll just leave it. I'll live my life, they'll live theirs. They are of such immense value to God. And you have a role and responsibility to make sure that you share the reason for the hope that you have. So as we close together, did we, Kira, did we get all the clues? We have one left? All right. Thanks for being on top of it. As we close together, I want to close with a time to reflect on this for ourselves. Because we see really two clear indications and two invitations in these parables today. The first is this, for those of you who do not yet know Jesus personally. Not those who are not religious, but you don't personally know Jesus. Because the Bible makes two categories. There are those who are lost and those who are found. Those who are unsaved and those who are saved. Religious is not in any of those categories because you can be religious and you can also be lost. But Jesus wants you to know him and he so passionately cares about you and loves you that he will willingly go over and above. He will ridiculously embarrass himself to reach out and find you. And he will celebrate over you going to every door. That's where it says... All of heaven rejoices over one who comes to him. That he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for the penalty of your sin and mine. That there's an invitation to that. But it requires like any other gift to be willing to receive it. That this morning you have that opportunity. And you're going to pray in just a moment. It'll be an opportunity for you to pray. And to take that gift, to invite him in. It's really simple. It is an invitation.
It's recognizing that you believe he is the son of God, confessing it with your mouth, inviting him to live in you, and desiring and purposing to live your life for him. The second part of this, the second parable invites all of us into the process of making sure that all people come to know, and specifically the people God has put in your life, come to know the truth of that invitation of that gift. So I'm going to ask, just as we close together, if you would just close your eyes over these next about minute, minute and a half here. And if you're new to church, we don't pray with our eyes closed because that's somehow how God can talk to us. It's just a way of focusing. If you really don't feel comfortable, you don't have to. But if you're like me, you get distracted a lot. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to first say a prayer. And if perhaps you're here this morning and you've never had that opportunity to not just go to church or hear about spiritual things, but actually come to know God personally and have a relationship with Him, that this morning there's an opportunity for that. To pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a good shepherd. You aren't careless. You don't leave us. In fact, God, you go above and beyond. You go beyond what was your own responsibility. Thank you that you went beyond that when you had Jesus come to pay the penalty for my sin, for our sin. For those who may be here today, God, and have never taken that opportunity, have never come to know that loving shepherd, that loving caregiver, a loving father who wants to know them and be relationship with them. Lord, I know from your word it's as simple as just inviting. And so if that's you, you can just say a prayer in your own heart and mind. You're through your own words, but something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. That word lost, that's me. I know I've made mistakes. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I pray that you would come, forgive me of my sin, cleanse out all the junk that's been in me, make me new, and help me to live my life with you and for you every day. Thank you. And heaven rejoices with that. But for those of us this morning, I'm praying right now in just a quiet, just for 10 seconds here. Lord, I just pray right now that you would imprint on our hearts and minds those you have put in our lives. I pray right now for even faces to come and names to come to our minds right now of those you have put in our lives that you are challenging us that we are to share the good news of Jesus with. God, can you help us to care enough about them, to care as much as you do, so that our fear, Lord, our apathy, our selfishness can't distract us from the mission you've called us to. Burn within us, God, the reality of we are called to be a part of this. Help us to recognize the eternal significance that's at play. 
I pray that you would give us opportunities over the next days and weeks to come, Lord, to build relationship. God, to show Jesus by the way we act, but God, also to share Jesus with our words. Help us not to be those who don't care, but to those who care and love passionately just as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.